Thanks, Anthony and Vivi. Thank you. What a perfect song to lead into today's message. Would you please welcome, by the way. Uh, I know that's a very, very uh, penetrating song, and it's to exalt the Lord is the, 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 the very goal of our lives, and that is exactly where Paul is bringing us today. For those of you that are visiting with us, thanks for coming. Very kind of you to come and, and uh, spend your time with us. For those that are here all the time, we are in the sixth chapter of the book of Romans. And this is a place that uh, where Anthony and Vivi just sang, we exalt thee. It is very place that Paul is trying to bring us. He is taking us to that place where he had brought us as low as he possibly could, that we had nowhere to look but up to come to trust in our God by faith. And once we have done that, he wants us to move from this place of being justified that we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we, our sins are forgiven. He wants us to move now into a place that we become sanctified. And that is an ongoing process within our lives. And he is saying, basically, let's exalt the Lord our God. Let's put aside the old foolish things, and let's start doing the things of the Lord. And this is a... This is a cry, I think, for every church on the face of this good earth, is to become mature in our faith, to become a, a group of people that are just um, encourage one another, build each other up, and um, exalt the Lord our God. And so that's the purpose we come together for this, this day, to, to learn about our Lord and to move ourselves forward. Let me just uh, share with you, you're in Romans chapter 6, but... Let me just share with you, in, in John chapter 11, a very, very wonderful and unique incident happens in the life of our Lord. There are three very dear friends of His, Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. Lazarus is sick, sick unto death. And they call our Lord to their village, Mary and Martha do, to come and, and heal their brother Lazarus. Jesus waits some time to get there, and by the time he's there, Lazarus has now been dead four days. Mary, Martha, I should say, runs out to see the Lord immediately and says, Oh Lord, oh Lord, if you would have been here, our brother would not have died. Can you imagine the faith of that woman? To think that Jesus Christ could literally stop death. If you would have been here, our brother would still be alive. He says to her, you're going to see the glory of God, basically. Take me to your brother. On the way there, Mary, her sister, runs out, says the same thing to the Lord. If you would have been here, our brother would not have died. These two ladies were dear, dear women of faith. Well, when Jesus Christ gets to the tomb, he says, roll away the stone. And in John chapter 11, verse 44 he calls Lazarus out of the grave. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus does. And when Lazarus is standing there before all the people, Jesus Christ says to those who are surrounding him, unbind him. He is still in his grave clothes. He says, unbind him, let him go. The reason I mention that story is that is a picture of what is taking place in Romans chapter 6. It is a picture of the believer's condition at the time of conversion. In other words, from death to life. Jesus unbinds us of our grave clothes, so to speak. He 
takes away our sin. The difference between Lazarus and us is that all of our sinful clothes do not come off permanently as his did. We are continually tempted to put on our old clothes, our sins back on, which is a continually battle in the life of every believer. Uh, Paul explains this, as you remember last week, in, in, in Romans chapter 7, we jumped ahead, but only for the purpose to let you see that, that it's not out of the ordinary that you and I might sin once in a while. We, we have that nature within us. That's why 1 John 1.9 is critical for us as believers. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But there is a tendency to... To, to grab a hold of this old nature of ours. And, and Paul reminds us, even though we, have been, we are dead to sin, we have been raised in this new life in Christ, Paul confesses that even himself, as an apostle, battled against his old sin nature. And that sin nature, he says, still rages on within him. Remember what he said in the seventh chapter of Romans? The 15th verse, he says, For that which I am doing, I don't understand. He says, I'm not practicing what I would like to do. I am doing the very thing that I hate. A couple of verses later, he relays where the trouble, trouble lies. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. The wishing is present. In other words, I want to do it. But the doing of it, not so much. Sound familiar? It is an ongoing battle we have as believers. And so Paul wants to get to the point that says that you and I can have victory over this. We can get to the point where those sins that we used to do more often than not get to be old hat. And so Paul again answers the same question he did if you were... In chapter 6 of Romans, if you remember in verses 1 and 2, the question in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6 is, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace might increase? And then he says, May it never be one of the harshest statements of rebuttal within the Word of God. No, that is absurd, he is saying. Well, in verse 14, he says, Sin shall not be master over you. For you're not under the law, you are under grace. What then? Verse 15. Look, it's going to sound very familiar to verses 1 and 2. Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And again he says to them, may it never be. That is absurd. Let me read to you the rest of these uh, verses from, from verse 16 to verse 23, the rest of this chapter. And I want you to know that... <clears throat> But this is, in my opinion, and I know I say this way too often, it's, it's, um, maybe it's my problem, but I, every time I study a certain place in Scripture, it becomes one of my favorite places. But if it were a time for me to go on to be with the Lord, and He says, you have one more message to give, I would love to give Him this message. This message here ought to be preached by Billy Graham in a big arena where, where there are myriads of people who have come to examine the whole idea of faith. And it ought, to be it ought to be also 
given to a group of people who are believers but need to be encouraged to walk the walk that God has called us to. If you'll note in this place, there are three very definite places in verses 18, 20, and 20, excuse me, 22 and 23, where Paul says, You have been freed from sin. Verse 22, freed from sin. Verse 23, the free gift of God is eternal life. Let's read, please. Verse 16. Do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Verse 19, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. There's that word. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. The wages of sin is death, Paul says. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's almost, that's, that's almost really enough. I mean, really. To comprehend what Paul just said ought to just challenge you and me to become all that God is asking us to be. One verse just, just, just got me when I was reading it. A couple of them, really, but one, the one that, that, that I really loved was, was the whole idea of, of I thought of you. I, I, I don't want to be overdramatic. I don't want to exaggerate, but I, I just wept. I wept because I thought about how gracious and how loving you guys are. Um, it's just, uh, I'll mention it when I get there to you. It's in verse 17, but... Thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart. I, I love you people. I sense that in you. To that form of teaching that you were committed, you folks do not allow us not to teach the Word of God. It is, a, it is the greatest privilege any pastor could ever, ever dream of having to be in a church like this with you people. But the one that moved me to a tears again was in verse 21. What benefit were you when you derived from the things which you, were, you are now ashamed? I mean, are you not ashamed of those things you used to do? I am. Moving towards this new life in Christ. 
Paul is saying to you and me, let's grow up. Let's grow up. Father, please open up our eyes so that we might behold the most wonderful, wonderful of privileges, and that is the wonders of your word. Would you open up our eyes so that we might behold these things? And move me aside, Father, so that I do not get in the way of what you want to say to us this morning. Please, Father, let not any one of us hinder what you wish to say to our hearts this morning. And bless us, please, Father. Let us bless one another. Let us be a church that encourages and builds each other up and just really becomes a staple in this community of people who love one another and more importantly love you and it is known throughout the community that there is a group of people who are madly in love with the Savior. Bless us, Father, please. Move me aside as I pray. Teach us, Lord. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. I want to say to you, going into this message, at the end of it, we got some news, gritty, really wonderful news to tell you. So um, just hold on after the service. Don't rush out. Um, as a matter of fact, don't rush out during it. I mean, <laughs> don't. Nah. Okay. Paul answers the question that he knew the readers was going to about to ask him, and that is, what are we going to do? Are we to sin because we're not under the law anymore, but we're under grace. In other words, God's unmerited favor. We're, we're so blessed by God. God so has forgiven us. He has so given us so many favors. Are we to continue in sin to make Him look even better? And Paul says, no, no. May that never be. You see, sin is the most devastating power that has ever entered into the human experience. It is, it is corrupt us to beyond recognition, but not only us, but nature itself. In this book of Romans, in the 8th chapter, when we get there, we're going to hear Paul say, we know that the whole creation groans. This whole earth groans and suffers the pain of childbirth together until now. But not only that, he says in the next verse, he says in verse 23 of Romans chapter 8, we also ourselves, having the first, fruit, first fruits of the Spirit, we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting our adoption as sons, children, the redemptions of our body. Sin has affected all of life, ourselves and nature. Sin is so rebellious that one writer wrote long ago, calling sin God's would-be murderer. He wrote, if sin and Satan had its way, it would destroy everything about God. His word, his grace, his righteousness, himself. That God's grace would give you and me a license to sin, Paul says, is spiritual absurdity. We should know better. Look at verse 16. When he says, do you not know, it's the rhetorical question. It implies by what it is said, do you not know, that the reader knows the truth if they just thought about it. He says, don't you know this rhetorical question? When you present yourself, verse 16, when you present yourself to someone as a slave for obedience, you are a slave to the one you obey. You either are a slave to sin, which will, will result in death, or you are a slave to obedience, which will result in righteousness. Paul says it's obvious. You are a slave to the one whom you obey. 
And so the phrase, when you present yourself, that indicates a willing choice. You become obedient. And Paul makes the point even more obvious. It is your choice of who you will obey. That's why you ought to have I, things in your life that, that, that draw you to the Lord, that, that remind you of who you belong to. The choice is up to you. Either to choose sin, which will result in death, in verse 16, or obedience, which will result in righteousness. Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, said you can't, you can't serve two people. You cannot. He says, no one can serve two masters. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. You will either hate the one and love the other, or you'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, he says. You've got to choose. You see, the amazing truth within God's Word is this. An unsaved person is not as free as they think. If you're here visiting with us and you think, boy, you Christians, you're just so, you're so bound into this, this, this belief that you have. You, you, you have no freedom. On the contrary. On the contrary. An unsaved person is not as free as they think they are either. You are bound and enslaved to sin. The only true choice an unsaved person has is when, how, why, and to what degree will they sin. That's it. I know that sounds harsh, but that's the Scripture's truth. Paul is not teaching here, as he draws us into this message, he's not teaching that a Christian ought to, to be a slave of righteousness. No, he is saying that every single Christian, by divine creation, get this now, is, is, not ought to be, but is a slave of righteousness and cannot be anything else but. He is saying exactly what John says in the first letter that John wrote. John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, 9, and 10. Listen to John. Harsh words. No one who is born of God practices sin. Now the word practice is key there. Practice means as a way of life. No one who is born of God practices sin. Why? Because his, God's seed, abides in us. And we cannot sin because we've been born of God. In other words, we can't sin as a practice within our life. It, it, it ought not to be an ongoing practice of sin. It says in verse 10, By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. You can tell the difference. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, John says. Nor is the one who doesn't love his brother. Listen to further evidence. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. He says, Although you were formerly, formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet God has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death, his death upon the cross. He's reconciled you in order to present you before God holy blameless and beyond reproach that's our destiny in other words for the true believer in jesus christ the life of unrighteousness and disobedience towards god is over with it's done there should be a repentance within our hearts there should be a time when we do sin and we will that we should be quick to ask god for forgiveness the old sinful way cannot continue it cannot continue to characterize a, a true believer's existence. 
Obedience to God and righteous living is a certainty in the life of a truly justified person. There should be a change. Now true, temporary unfaithfulness and sinful disobedience may at times appear to dominate our lives. Just like Paul says, I want to do good, but on the other hand, I don't. But a true believer cannot continue indefinitely in disobedience because it thoroughly opposes the new and holy nature that has engulfed our bodies. We cannot indefinitely endure sinfully living. Listen to what John taught in the first letter he wrote, First John again, chapter 1, verse 6. Listen to what he says. If we say we have fellowship with God and yet we walk in darkness, we lie, he says. We don't practice the truth. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, he says, The one who says, I have come to know God and doesn't keep his commandments, he says, that person's a liar. Truth is not in him or her. And as we have already mentioned in John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, the, no one, he says, who is born of God practices sin. Practices means as a way of life because his seed, God's seed, abides in us. And we cannot practice sin because we've been born of God. I exalt thee. How do you want to live your life? Paul is moving us to growth. And so now Paul explains in verses 17 to 23 the principle that he just stated in verse 16. Namely, that a person is a slave either to Satan and sin or to the righteousness of God Almighty. Now note where Paul begins, verse 17, really important. He says in verse 17, But thanks be to God. Paul first gives thanks to God because we are no longer subject to the slavery that leads to death and sin. We've been freed our thanks for salvation should always be to God first because it is God and God alone. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, he says that our victory is given to the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us the victory. And so there is a victory in your life, in my life. We can, we can beat this terrible foe of sin. He says in verses 17 and 18, Although we once were slaves to sin, we are now, he says, free from sin. We're slaves of sin, but no more. Were translates in the imperfect Greek tense. It signifies an ongoing reality. Were. Once we always did this. In other words, the unregenerated, unsaved person is under the continual, unbroken slavery to sin. I know that sounds harsh. The universal position of the, uh, the natural man, with no exceptions, is what we said before. The only true choice that that person has is when, how, why, and to what degree will I sin? Think not. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural man, talking about the unbeliever, does not accept the things of God. Because they are foolishness to them. You see, Paul's not speaking merely about the outward righteousness. 
He made, he made it clear. It's not something that it's out there. It's something that is, well, he says, you become obedient from the heart. In verse, what is it, in verse 17? What is that? Yeah. No, yeah, verse 17. He says, you become obedient from the heart. God works His salvation in a person's most innermost being within our heart of hearts through the grace that has been provided by His Son, Jesus Christ. God changes your very nature, your very desire when you trust in Him from the inside out. You see, a person whose heart has not been changed has not been saved, period. There must be a change within our hearts. Righteous living comes from an obedient heart and it is consistent. We will not practice sin. We will not, we will not do, no, do something and not desire to repent, hurt someone and not desire to ask for forgiveness. It ought to be a way of our lives. We are not to practice sin. Remember, this is so important. Paul is speaking about being sanctified that is a desire to change our heart, to change our lifestyle. Genuine faith is not only in God's Son, but it is a desire to live out His truth. When Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and you cannot come to the Father but through me, He's talking about the truth of knowing Him. And Paul had confidence in the salvation of his readers in Rome, just as I do of you, as I mentioned this verse earlier. These, these people in Rome had a change of heart. And I sense that in you so much. I love you folks more than I can ever put into words. Listen to what he says in verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were before slaves of sin, you now became obedient. From where? From your heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. This, the very word of God. That's why I love you so much. Look, a message like this isn't going to be taught in most of the churches across these United States. I know that. But I've got to be true to what Paul is saying. I can't avoid it. You people are just... Am I being too mean right now? Really, I, I feel like I'm just going on and on and you're sitting there and you're wondering, where in the world does this come from? I'll tell you it came from. It came from Paul's heart. Paul wants you and me to change from being justified to being sanctified. He wants to see a change within the lives of the people who are reading his word. And I'm with him. I'm with him 100%. Now, I, I, I grant you this. None of us comprehend all of God's truth. Even the most mature and faithful Christian only begins to fathom a, a, a part of the riches of God's great word. But what ought to be evident within your heart and my heart is a desire to know and to obey God's truth. It's one of the surest marks of genuine salvation. What do you know? Well, I only know Jesus loves me. Then good, deal with that. Deal with that. From its early inception, the church was characterized by a devotion to a love of Jesus Christ and a love of His Word. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says they were devoted, devoted to the teachings 
of the apostles. In other words, the teaching of the Word of God. That's why I love you folks so, so much. You have no idea. And our Lord made it clear that those who obeyed His Word were those who were true believers. He said to the Jews who had uh, believed in Him, If you continue in My Word, then you are truly disciples of Mine. Dr. J. Vernon McGee confessed, the older he became, the less he knew that he knew for sure. And I, 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 I fit into that category perfectly. Paul confesses that it is difficult to put divine principles and truth into term. Listen, God's purpose in saving you and me from our sin is not to give you freedom to do as you please. No, He saved you to give us freedom to do as He pleases. He wants you and me to follow Him. Let me give you a great example. In Exodus chapter 17, He asked Moses, go to, the, go to Pharaoh and say, Let my people go. Let my people go. And when Pharaoh asked him what was the purpose, in Exodus chapter 7, verse 16, he says, Let my people go so that they may, God said, serve me in the wilderness. That's why he wanted them free, to serve him. God delivers us from an enslavement to sin for the sole purpose of becoming enslaved to him and his righteousness. And so in verses 20 to 22, 23 really, Paul explains that in sin, in other words, without Jesus Christ, that a person in verse 20 is free in regards to righteousness. They don't have to follow the righteousness of God. They know nothing of God's righteousness, only a life of sin. Remember, as we said over and over again, the only true choice that a non-believer has is when, how, why, and to what degree should they sin. No chance that they won't sin. It's impossible. So he says in verse 21, the outcome of a non-believer is death. But look at verse 21 again. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? I ask, are you ashamed of your past? Are you ashamed of the sins that you once committed? The outcome of those things, he says, were, was death. But now, verse 22, but now, having been freed from sin, you and I have become enslaved to God where we derive our benefits. What benefits? What benefits do we derive? It results in, here's what Paul is trying to push down our throats, being sanctified, setting ourselves apart to be that person that God has called us to be. And what is the outcome of our being sanctified? Eternal life. Eternal life. What more can a person ask for? What more do you and I want out of life? Sanctification, which results in eternal life. What are the benefits? Well, verse 23. One of the great verses in all of Scripture. Three absolutes in verse 23. The wages of sin is death. 
The free gift of God is eternal life. And it all is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There are three unbreakable absolutes in verse 23. One of the great verses in all of Scripture. One absolute. Wages of sin is death. Can't escape it. Second absolute. The free gift of God is eternal life. Can't escape it. God wants to give you everlasting life. Third absolute is all found only in Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's a theme of the Bible, by the way. That's it, in a nutshell. When Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin on the day of Pentecost, and they preached to the people in Jerusalem, Peter boldly proclaimed that same truth, that same message. You know what the message was? It's in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. You might want to get to recognize and know this place in Scripture. He said these absolute, There is salvation in no one else, just Jesus. He says there is no other name under heaven, no one else, just Jesus, that has been given among mankind, no one else, just Jesus, by which we must be saved. Jesus. There is salvation in no one else. And so what Paul is trying to do for us in this place in Scripture is he's trying to draw us away from that old lifestyle into this new lifestyle, this new being sanctified, this new lifestyle of when we do someone harm for whatever reason we we are quick to go and say, forgive me. When we do something against our Lord for, for no other reason, but we, we get alone with Him and say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. And tell Him what that sin is so that you know that He knows that you know. It's, it's, it's really the best way. And don't sugarcoat it. When you've done something that is really against the Lord, just let Him know and don't put it off. As soon as you are convicted of it, deal with it. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Within a church, there's no greater joy than encouraging each other in our faith. Let me share with you something that is just, uh, it's just the best. Well, let me just tell you. God has gifted you and me when we come to trust in Him with a very specific gift. I don't know what that is. Um, and I hope that you do. When you have that gift, God asks you to do something with it so as to build up the body of Christ. The gift that He has given you has never been given to you for you alone. The gift that He has given you has been given to you to encourage and to build up the body of Christ. One of the most devastating things that we can do as believers is to tear down the body of Christ. And that's what sometimes sin will do. Gossip. Hurting somebody. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I just know some of the things I read. I don't, I don't go on Facebook. Um, 
I don't do that. But I've, um, I've had friends that tell me some of, some of the things that are said about me. It ain't fun. I don't get it. I don't. We ought to build each other up. We ought to be a church that is sanctifying ourselves. In other words, stop those things that might be harmful to the body of Christ. To love one another. To encourage one another. Now, if you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, what's today's date? Today's February the 24th. The year is 2013 and it is 10.03. I don't know of a better time ever for you to come to Christ. I know of no better day, no better moment. What do you have to do? You have to give all your money away? Nah. You just have to give your heart to Jesus Christ and trust in Him by faith that He would be your Lord and your Savior, that He would forgive you of your sin. For the most part, I believe most of us here are believers. I, I just recognize you. I see you all the time. For those of us who know the Lord, what He's asking us to become are sanctified people, setting ourselves apart, living the life that is glorifying to the Lord, that magnifies His most holy and righteous name, to be slaves to obedience. Let's pray. Father, if there's someone here that does not, at this moment in time, feel that they know You, and they feel that tug on their heart, Father, I pray they would not put this moment away. Father, look you straight in the face, so to speak, and just ask you for the forgiveness of sin. Ask you that they might be that, that person that you've called them to be. Accept the forgiveness that you will give and this everlasting life that you want to give to, to them, Father. Accept it full on. And may we be a church that helps them to grow, to now move from being justified to a a sanctified individual, someone who chooses to live that life. For those of us that have been a Christian for a while, Father, may we move towards sanctification. May we do what Paul is going to be preaching to us the rest of this great book of Romans, and that is to sanctify ourselves, to walk with you in righteousness, to be enslaved to you, our most heavenly Father. I pray that for myself as I do for every single person here. Bless us, Lord, please. And Father, remind these people over and over again how much I love them. But more importantly, remind them, of course, how much you love them. That's more important. Let us sense that love that just comes down from heaven and just engulfs us. I pray for this, Father, in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.